Warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Aliens and humans alike wanted to stop him at any cost. Kill him if possible. Destroy his quest for glory. He marshaled his forces and unified all the races under his violent leadership. They fought as one, left their blood on the field of battle, but persevered and conquered. He led his comrades to victory time and time again. And now, he's back for his second season. Quarterback Quentin Barnes returns for his sophomore effort with the INF Krakens in Scott Sigler's hardcover novel, The Starter. On sale now at scottsigler.com slash thestarter and at amazon.com. The sequel to The Rookie, The Starter is a sci-fi sports gangland mashup described as any given Sunday meets The Godfather meets Star Wars. This signed, numbered, limited edition collector's item is available for pre-order on April 1st, 2010 at scottsigler.com slash thestarter and at amazon.com. For the Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. Hi, this is Ted Lindstrom from Amana Mars, and you're listening to the Bone Bat Show.
Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 64 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? You know, it's going good for me. Yeah? But it is not going well for my parents. No? Do tell. No. Now, these are, these are the same parents who were recently in an earthquake in New Zealand, correct? That's right. That's right. They they got out of Christchurch and got got on to the rest of their vacation on the beautiful island of New Zealand. And when it was time to come home, they got on a plane, flying United Airlines, uh, an institution which I have railed against numerous times myself. Anyway, they, they hopped on a plane. They flew back to San Francisco from New Zealand. And I don't know if you've ever taken that flight, but it's a long one. Yeah. It is a long flight. And the interesting thing, that flight is so long, the only way that they can actually properly measure the time it takes is to use geological terms. It's See what I'm saying? It's a freaking long time. I thought you were going to say it was to measure it against your penis. <laughs> but you see... I thought we'd outgrown that. <laughs> you, you've outgrown your penis? Well, I can never outgrow my penis. Right, it's okay. Anyway, possible. sorry. Sorry to sorry. digress. So... My parents hopped on my penis. No, my parents <laughs> hopped on a plane, flew all the way back from one side of the globe to the other, landed in San Francisco, and they've checked their bags. They got a, That's where they get their connecting flight back up to Oregon. Okay. New bags, by the way, because the old ones are abandoned in a skyscraper, which is... Yeah, you know, they're they, still in they a pile of rubble, right? From. Yeah, they're still in a pile of rubble. Right. So they land and they look and they're like, oh, my God, you know what? We're here in time to catch the earlier flight. We don't have to wait until the five o'clock flight. We can catch the two o'clock flight. So they go to the United Airlines counter and like, hey, here's the situation. We're booked through. Can we just get on the two o'clock flight, make this whole thing end? And the reservation agent goes, well, the good news is there are seats available on that flight. But the bad news is you've checked your bags, so I can't put you on a different plane you have to wait for the five o'clock flight so i i think this is like a patriot act 9-11 thing you can't fly on a different flight than your bags is probably also united sucking donkey balls thing because they couldn't like <laughs> grab the bags and put them on another flight they had going right. to the same freaking place so, so so that's the story like sorry nope yeah you're you've checked your bags on a five o'clock flight you have to wait for the five o'clock flight there's the you know orange julius go entertain yourself for a few hours fine Parents wait, they wait, they wait. Two o'clock flight leaves. They wait some more. It's time to get on the five o'clock flight. Flight's canceled. What? Shit. Shit. There's no more flights out to Oregon either. Like, that's it. And I go, oh, sorry, you know, come back tomorrow. So my parents are like, oh, crap. Well, can we have our bags, please? It's got our toothbrushes and, you know, our stuff. No, no, can't have your bags. Well, why can't they have their bags? Because their bags were put on the two o'clock flight. No! Yeah. <laughs> That's bullshit. How my dad didn't, like, reach across the counter and just punch the agent in the face repeatedly is beyond me. That's, that was an exercise in extreme self-control on my dad's part. Oh, my God, dude. Can you fucking imagine? No, I, I can't believe that. But, you know, I, as much as I love your parents, I can't help but think that this sort of thing wouldn't happen to them if they didn't hate our freedoms. <laughs> Why do your parents hate our freedom so much? I, I they, they must be terrorists. Probably what it is. <laughs> That's such bullshit, dude. And, but it's typical airline shit. No, we we can't move you on a different flight because we've already placed your bags on a rolly cart. <laughs> right. I mean that that's like the level of commitment that had taken place probably 
at the point where they were trying to check into that other flight. They had plenty of time. That's bullshit. It is bullshit. It's remarkable how they won't let you fly on a flight that doesn't have your bags on it, yet they can always go out of their way to lose your bags. Oh, yeah. But they do that shit all the time, the packing stuff onto other flights to get it there early. That happens all the time. That's standard operating procedure. Yeah, or they put it on just a completely different flight going to a completely different city <laughs> well, that might rhyme with your destination. But that, that's accidental. I mean, it, that still sucks. So they're home okay now? No, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. My dad was grumbling. This is yesterday afternoon. He was grumbling that he had to wait until an 11 p.m. flight today to get out there. So he's going to have to wait like more than 24 hours. I mean, the guy was had just been flying for like 80,000 hours, so... I thought he meant 11 a.m., but they still haven't called me. So maybe he did mean 11 p.m. I don't know. United may have just thrown him in jail, decided they were terrorists for trying to fly without their luggage. I I have no idea what happened to my parents. Well, I I hope they make it home okay. Yeah. So, dude. What? This episode, we are listening to the music of Sweden's Amanamarth. What is that? That's Elvish for Mount Doom, actually, for you Tolkienophiles. Mountain Dew? Mountain Doom. Oh, I thought we picked up a sponsor. You know, Frodo throws a ring in there. Yeah, that's a monomarth. Anyway, yeah, Sweden's a monomarth. One of my favorite death metal bands. Total thrill for me. I got to spend a few minutes interviewing their bassist, Ted Lundstrom, and you're going to hear that in a little bit. And we're checking out music from Surtur Rising, their new CD, which is going to be out on the 29th of March, just two days from the release of this podcast. So you're going to get to preview some stuff here, check out an interview, and you'll be in a perfect position to pick up the CD when it comes out, man. Now, which word means mount and which word means doom? Amon. Which is Amon? Amon would be the mount. Because remember, there's also like Amon Hen and Amon Sul. There's other Amons that they talk about in Lord of the Rings. If you say so. I do say so. I believe you. I believe you. I'm going to trust your your geek cred on this one. Yeah, I know a little a thing or two about it, Tolkien. You do. Anyway, so yes, it's absolute thrill. Thank you to Amon Marth for letting us share your music with our listeners. That's cool shit. Is it true you named your penis the Cimmerillion? <laughs> I did, because it's really long. And ponderous. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of a lot bleak. of people have heard about it, but no one's really ever got through it. It's easy to lose the plot. <laughs> anyway. So, dude. Yeah. What? Beyond your parents being lost in the ether, what pisses you off? You know, what pisses me off? First of all, what pisses me off is when people say or write the word medias. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Medias is not a word. Do you count the internets as part of the medias? Stop it. <laughs> I haven't even really noticed that that's a I've thing. I've added up to here with medias. Okay. I, God, I didn't know that, that was a thing. It's a thing and it pisses me off. I'm sorry. Genuinely. Man. In a more staid, less reactive vein, if you will, my Xbox died. I'm pretty sure I was on this show a couple episodes back saying, no, my Xbox is fine. <laughs> haven't had a problem. Yeah, my Xbox freaking died. So did it red ring, or what were the symptoms? I got three of the four pieces of the red ring lit up. My kids tried to play it. The game didn't load. They turned it off. They turned it on again. It froze. I looked at it went, hmm. I turned it off, turned it on again, and then it was just, no, not going to launch. Dead. Wow. Yeah. That sucks, man. It does. So, so I got a new... It Is it still under warranty? No, nah, no. Nah. So you just had to get a new one? Yeah. 
I got a new one, which is cool. It's a lot quieter than the old one. You got one of the Slims? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're pretty slick. But you know what pisses me off is... What? All those save games that are gone. Like, oh! Puzzle Quest. I mean, a lot of the games, I was impressed. I put in games, started loading stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, we know you. Okay, here's where you left off. But some of the games, like Puzzle Quest, a game which is simple which is mindless, which I have roughly 3,000 hours into because I play it when I'm just sort of in between things. And there's no way I'm going to start that freaking thing from scratch again. That, no. You know what? I have an upgrade cable from when I switched hard drives and I had to port over everything that was on my first hard drive to a bigger one. I'll send that to you because that might, you might be able to use that to, via USB, port it into like a zip drive or something like that. Oh, all right, cool. So, right. yeah, hopefully that'll help. It's like my kids, you know, they don't have Xbox Live accounts, so, like, yeah. all of their stuff's gone. Yeah, well, that sucks. Yeah, like Castle Crashers, you know, they unlocked guys and things, and that's the carnage, the virtual carnage, the loss of data is staggering. <laughs> what about you? What pisses you off, man? Well, I got a couple of things. Uh, first, I've bitched about all these things before, really, but... Daylight savings time, dude. Daylight savings time almost always seems to be just fucking inopportune. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but uh, last weekend, or that that daylight savings time weekend, there was uh, Jessica Boss, who was the the bassist of the Seattle band Witchburn and is married to the bassist from Burning of Eye. Her dad passed away, and so she put on a memorial show in his honor uh, that Saturday night. So Burning of Eye was playing, Arisen from Nothing, another band that I hadn't been familiar with called Zero Down, but was pretty kick-ass. Uh, they were all playing. And so, you know, Julie and I went out, just had a great evening of live music, but we had to get back, you know, and get up early, and neither of us realized that that was Daylight Savings Time night. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, you know, we're old people. We're getting in bed at 2. <laughs> right. Oh, wait, no, it's 3 in the morning. Shit. So... That happened, which wasn't good. And then on Monday, I had my interview with Amana Marth. Yeah. And so I get up early, and I'm all ready to go. I have my notes. I have my coffee. I'm ready to go. And the time comes that we're supposed to have the interview, and it passes. And I'm just like, ah, shit. You know, I, I guess so for some reason the schedules got mixed up. I don't know, but I, I guess this isn't going to happen. So I'm getting ready to walk out the door to go to work, and the phone rings. And it's the guy. And I'm like, oh, shit. So we do the interview. We knock it out. And I'm just like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm not prepared. I thought you were going to call earlier. But it's, you know, let's do this. So we got the interview done. And then afterwards, as I'm driving to work, it dawns on me. Wow. I bet you they don't have daylight savings time in Sweden. Oh. So he was totally right on his schedule. We arrogant ass Americans who want to change the clock to better fit our lives are the ones who are fucked up. Now, and is so everybody strictly a United States thing? Is that like the Met, the, the English system where the only freaking idiots in the world that do it? I don't know. I don't think other countries do it. I'm not 100% sure of that, but I'm pretty sure that it's like our hemisphere at least. Well, like not even all the states do it. No, Arizona doesn't. Yeah, Arizona's like a Nova Scotia. That. You know what time it is? It's sunny and hot time. That's what time it is. Right. Oh, that's terrible. My kid cannot get his head around daylight savings time. He just can't. It's like, every time I try to explain it to him, it's like that scene in Monty Python's Holy Grail where the the father 
is trying to keep his prince kid in the castle for the marriage, and he's talking to the two guards. You stay here until I come back, and don't let anyone, you know, don't let him out. And they're like, right. What if he goes out and we plant a garden? You know, he's just <laughs> he can't cannot get it, no matter how many. And it's because it makes no goddamn sense. No, is why? Yeah, it's ridiculous. But anyway, yeah, we'll so have like a three. My apologies to Amon Marth for not being not having my shit together. Yeah, well, but that was a really good question to ask. You know, do you have daylight savings time in a month? Yeah, well, it only took me it only took me you know two hours to figure out what had happened. So. Yeah, but in daylight savings time, you jump ahead an hour, so that's like three hours <laughs> to figure it out. Shit. So you know, despite all the stuff that pisses Gordon and I off, sometimes something happens where you got to clear the fucking decks and. Have a guest, what pisses us off. And this is exactly that time. I'd like to introduce Troy Elmore, who's the guitarist for the Seattle band Arisen from Nothing. How you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm doing really good. Like I said to Gord, I just saw you play last weekend, and you had something interesting happen to you that seemed perfect for this segment. So I thought I'd have you on to talk about it. I'll tell you what, I've been disrespected a lot in my life. I mean, everybody has, but... Uh... Five minutes before I'm going on stage, got a real great benefit show going on for Rick Boss. I get text dumped by this chick I've been seeing five minutes before I go on. Damn! Basically, it totally effed up my focus. I felt like the two beers I had multiplied into eight. You know, playing guitar, not the best thing to have happen to you. Five minutes before I go on, it was like the height of disrespect. No warning, just crapped on me. Oh, shit, dude. Yeah, that but, totally sucks. I mean, that that beyond sucks. That fuck. Yeah, that that would take the average man out of his fucking game. But I gotta say, Troy, you held it together, man. You guys still put on a kick-ass show. Hey, thank you very much. Had a good time. Loved uh, hearing at the gates and bulletproof live. That was awesome shit. Now, did she do that knowing you were about to go on stage in five minutes? Oh hell yeah, she knew exactly what was going on. Damn. Earlier that day. She was supposed to come out to the show. She no-showed on that one, then crapped on me. Oh, my God. Wow. And, of course, I'm still seeing her. Figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys uh, so painful. you guys worked it out? Oh, yeah, this week. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Leave the yeah, phone at home a, before the next show, man. This crap's a never-ending battle, I tell you what. Wow. You know, we're entering, we're entering new so. territory here. We had Whitey Cracker on the show last time, and what pissed him off was his ex-wife. We've never had, like, relationship girl problems, what pisses us off until now. It's like a new phase in the moon or something. Well, if you've got about an hour, I can tell you all about my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for another show, maybe. Hey, I hear you. All right, man. Well, you want to introduce our next song? How about Amon of Mars for the stab wounds in our backs? Very appropriate. <laughs> Thanks for stopping in, Troy. Hey, man. Take care of yourself, guys.
All right. Once again, that was for the stab wounds in our backs from 2003's Versus the World by Amana Marth. So, dude. What? I'm going to get gas on Monday. And is yeah. this is the weirdest thing. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm pumping my gas and this large size mercury, I don't know what it is, you know, one of those like four by four type of things pulls up behind me. Yeah. And I notice that it's got a, a handicap placard hanging from the mirror. All right. I'm like, huh, okay, well, you know, whatever. And so then the door opens up and this very attractive black woman gets out of the car. And she's dressed probably too nice for work, almost going to the club nice. Yeah. She's got, like, the tight black mini skirt on and the tight shirt. Her hair's all done really nice. And she's got, like, the high-heeled boots that are just over her ankles, so it tastefully reveals the rose tattoo she has on her calf. You know, she's looking good. And then as she's getting out of the car, I see this sheriff's truck pull up behind her. And the sheriff backs into a parking space right across from her. I'm like, oh, shit. I I wonder if she's going to get popped for having a handicap placard on her car. Because clearly, she's like in her 20s, and she's ambulatory. She doesn't have any problems getting around. Maybe she has a heart condition or something. I I don't know. But anyway, so she's she's standing there, and the sheriff gets out of the car and ambles over. And he's like a guy in maybe his 60s or something. He's got real big, you know, kind of a paunch and balding and the, you know, white walrus mustache. And he comes up to her, and he says a couple of words to her. And so I'm just sitting there watching, again, still pumping the gas. And he whips out his ATM card and pays for her gas. Well, maybe it's like her husband. Maybe. But she's like, you know, looking like she's maybe 25. He's 60. Oh, maybe she's working undercover. I don't know. It's just like the weirdest thing. I didn't totally did not expect that to happen. And so my question to you is, what's the story? She's undercover. She's an undercover cop. You think so? Yeah. So a sheriff would, would pay for her gas? Yeah, she's working for the county, and right. uh, that's that's you know, they need to gas up the vehicle, and the whole thing's going on the county's dime anyway. So, sure, but wouldn't they be concerned that like some ne'er do wells would see them together, and that her cover would be blown if it's an undercover thing? <laughs> blown. <laughs> well, they already made the bust. It's done. Maybe, but that time in the morning. I don't know what the undercover sting situation is like. So you're, uh, sh- you're sure the sheriff wasn't porking? I'm not sure of that. I'm just saying. <laughs> that wasn't the first thing that I thought of. Or the second. Well, I didn't think of that. So Maybe I just have the seed of your turn of thought. See, cool. that's why you have me around. Exactly. That's why I ask you these things. Because, yeah, out of all the things I expected to happen there, he whips out his card and pumps her gas. Pretty interesting. I, I thought this was leading into the story about a beatdown or something. No. Speaking of pumping gas, I'm a little bit annoyed by the whole price of gas thing again. Yeah. That here in Seattle, on New Year's Day, you could pay three fifteen per gallon for gas. On Monday, when I saw this you know, event happen, I paid three sixty nine, which is a seventeen percent increase in gas. Now, the whole reason that the gas supposedly is going up is because of problems in Libya, right? Whatever. Okay. Libya is responsible for 2.2% of the world's gas production, compared to 11% of the world's gas production from the U.S. So why the fuck is anything that Libya is doing affecting my price at the pump? This doesn't make a lick of sense. It All makes this a total is, lick of sense. No, it's a fucking just profit-taking by the gas companies. Exactly. They tell you in advance, oh, 
shit's going down in Libya. Your gas prices are going up. And then basically, that's just an announcement to bend over and grab the hood. You think that's bad. I had to ship something to Mexico. Mm -hmm. And it was a good size uh, load, so to speak. And it was going to be like uh, 175 bucks to ship it. Well, that price I got quoted to ship it there in uh, December. Well, finally, they get around to buying the thing, and I'm going to ship it to them, and they pay me 175 bucks, and I'm going to just pass the cost rate on. I knew shipping had gone up a little bit, but I was just going to eat the difference. No. The new price to ship that was no longer 175 bucks. It was like 425 bucks. Can you imagine if the price of the pump was going up that fast as opposed to the price that you're paying to ship industrial supplies? Yeah, that's bullshit. I don't oh, know. yeah, it's just it's you watch all these oil companies, in addition to getting subsidized by our government, they're making gajillions of dollars of profit. Yeah, and it's just it, it burns me that the fix is in. The fix is always in. Mm hmm. And, you know, if there was just any way that as consumers we could just say, you know, fuck you, we're not going to pay it or fight back in a meaningful sort of a way. But, you know, yeah, any sort of attempts to, OK, on Tuesday, nobody pump gas. That shit never works. Yeah. Because, you know, people have to have gas. Yeah. So that's I, not I don't know. But it's, it, it frustrates me, man. It really does. No getting around it, man. They got us by the short and curlies. Even if you drive a freaking Prius, you know. Yeah. yeah Libya. Bomb in Libya. Dude, remember in high school, remember the 80s where we were dropping bombs on Libya and people worried about real estate and the economy wasn't really doing that well and there was a superpower that was just going totally broke that is occupying Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Shuttle fleet down. It's the 80s all over again. I'm ready to grow like really big hair and start wearing... Uh, fluorescent colors <laughs> yeah it's time to break out that members only jacket oh i still have that do you really no yeah neither do i <laughs> you got a, a political rant this week yeah i do all right first of all the libya thing i'm completely flustered it's just like during the the bush era could somebody please declare war before we actually start warring on people <laughs> yeah i mean who has the power to declare war again Congress. And what the fuck? Shouldn't you have to like sign something or check a box or say the word war 11 times like you look in the mirror or something before you start dropping bombs and shit? Because this is just what Obama woke up, played around a golf and went, eh, yeah, screw it, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and like ta-da, it gets done. There's no debate. You, you know, he could do anything. Just like push. You go up, up. You gotta put some ground troops in there. It's not a war. It's a, a humanitarian action. And, and he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do a no-fly zone with bonus blowing shit up on the ground. What? <laughs> what? Just, God, bang my head against the wall. Oh, and that's not even my political rant. My political rant is, remember when they were talking about extending the Bush tax cuts and the, the flimsy nonsense reason that they wanted to extend these tax cuts to millionaires and billionaires is they said jobs. If these guys bring home a better paycheck, they're going to hire more people, which is crap. Mm -hmm. If a corporation, a company has more money, it might hire more people. If the treasurer for the company has more money, he's not going to hire more people. He's going to you know, buy some more stocks in an oil company. So 
whatever. It's out there. It happened. In my travels recently, I've run into two well-off individuals, both of whom own businesses and both of whom cite the extension of the Bush tax cuts as a reason for doing what they're doing. And you know what these guys are doing? What's that? Both of these guys are downsizing. They realize that the end may be near for a tax break, and they're trying to get it while they can. So they're selling their buildings. They're making their companies smaller. They're selling their machinery. They are reducing the number of people that they employ, and they're taking the they're taking the profit. And there's nothing wrong with that, but this, this thing that was pushed for oh, yeah, jobs, jobs ostensibly. No, I talked to two different guys that own companies that as a, res- a direct result of these tax cuts are making jobs go away. They're selling the machinery. The machinery, by the way, is going out of the country. Mm-hmm. And they're they're selling their real estate, opening up someplace smaller, maybe renting someplace. But uh, they're, they're shedding assets and jobs and pocketing the money while they can get a bigger piece of it. The uh, extension of the capital gains tax relief or whatever you want to call it. It's sad. You know, it's one of these things where I knew it was bullshit when it got passed, but I didn't think it through to the next logical step is not only is this not creating jobs, but this is actually going to cost us jobs. And in real life, man, it is. And I guess that is my sad little political rant. That is pretty sad. Should this be a comedy show? It should. Let's listen to something a little bit more triumphant. All right. This, once again, is Amon Amarth. Twilight of the Thunder God.
All right, once again, that was Twilight of the Thunder God from the 2008 CD of the same name by Amana Marth. And I am absolutely thrilled to be speaking with bassist Ted Lundstrom from that amazing band. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. And you? Oh, very well. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bone Bat Show, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. So tell me, a lot of our listeners uh, don't listen to as much death metal as I do. So tell me a little bit about how Amana Marth got started. Well, we're, we're a bunch of, of guys from the same neighborhood, more or less, that just listening to death metal, the, the old school bands, and we decided to form our own band. Like, this, this is uh, almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we've been playing for a while. So we just got together and, and started doing our own songs and, and stuff like that mm-hmm. in, a, in a like small rehearsal place we had. And then things sort of developed a little bit, and then we got a record deal and, you know, just been growing everything absolutely and you know i i've noticed as a big fan of swedish death metal you know so many of the bands are obviously individuals of themselves but there's like a, a certain genetic similarity between like the uh sunlight studio sound bands like grave and dismembered and entombed or the gothenburg sound guys like in flames and dark tranquility but you guys have always kind of sounded like your own thing uh, i think we, we we sort of ended up somewhere in between maybe in Växjö or somewhere. We didn't really like the Stockholm sound too much, or we, we wanted to move out of the Stockholm sound for, for a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. but and not go totally towards the Gothenburg sound. But I don't know, we just, we always done our own thing. And, and uh, I think maybe we ended up where we wanted to end up, somewhere in between. <laughs> right. How I would describe kind of your stuff is it's almost like widescreen metal. You just sound a little more epic, a little huger than maybe some of your counterparts, and I don't know if it's the great grand battles that your music talks about, or the mythology, or it's just the huge epic riffs, but you definitely have your own thing going. Is there a secret weapon when it comes to songwriting in your band, or do you guys all work as a team to put together these great tunes? Well, we work pretty much as a team. Of course, it's the guitar player that does most of the songwriting, but we get together in the rehearsal room to put everything together, and, and you know, we... We try to put in all the kind of different music we like ourselves into this little mix we have. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I think all the melodies we have come from more heavy metal kind of style because we love the 80s heavy metal bands, you know, and, and also a bit thrash bands. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, the thinking about Vikings and battles, you know, you need the more epic, uh, heavy, really heavy riffing too. So, you know, we, we try to combine both the most cheesy melodies and, and the the most heavy guitar riffing you can you can combine, you know. Yeah, well, there are other types of music that also kind of have that claim to power, but don't have the sheer heaviness that you guys have, and that's one of the things I love about Amon Amart. Uh, well, that and, and a tall, mean ass singer, <laughs> big, big guy that helps. Absolutely. So another thing that I've always appreciated about you guys is your consistency. I mean. Over the last four or five albums, you just get better and better each time. Kind of culminating in 2008 and Twilight of the Thunder God, which was my favorite CD of that year. You guys just killed it. How do you just keep doing a better job each time out? Actually, I have no idea. (laughs) We just write, you know, we were quite nervous, you know, writing this album because Twilight of the Thunder God was such a huge success for us both in Europe and over in the U.S. So we knew that everybody's going to compare the new album to the old one. And so after each song we wrote, we 
really asked ourselves, is it good enough? Is it really good enough? And we were like, yeah, I hope so. Because it's tough to say before you record it. And, you know, because while you're into the writing mode, you, you can't really say if it's uh, good enough or not. You know, you have to write it and then record it and then listen to it afterwards to, to be sure, really. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's, 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 been a, it's been a tough tough recording, but I think we, we're very, very happy with this album. So we sort of succeeded, I guess. Well, I, I absolutely agree. Like I said, one of my favorite CDs was Twilight, and then this one holds its own fantastically well. You've got great, powerful opener in War of the Gods. You have my favorite of the album is Live Without Regrets, which reminds me of Death and Fire or Pursuit of Vikings, some other instant classics in your catalog. And then you've also got, you know, some of the most brutal stuff that I can remember in your career as well on the album with the Destroyer of the Universe. Yeah, that, that was quite a funny too. We just decided to make a really raw, almost like a, what we call most punkish punk song. You know, it's more mm. just straight on heavy, fast stuff that we usually don't do very much of. So it was, it was very fun to write this song and record it. So <laughs> we tried to combine, you know, everything to make all fans happy with at least one song. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like it was a blast to record as well. So that's a good thing. And uh, for the deluxe version, you guys did a couple of really badass covers, speaking of kind of 80s metal roots. Well, yeah, we've, we've been a little bit against doing covers in the past. You know, we, we thought there's no point doing a cover because you can never do it better than the original. But I don't know, maybe it's us getting older. We, it's kind of more fun nowadays to do covers, we think. So oh, yeah. we decided to, to do a few of our favorite classic songs. So we went for... Uh, the War Machine with Kiss, and we did the Balls to the Wall with Accept, and then then we did like a wild wild card with the Aerials, System of a Down. Oh, cool! I guess that was more of a fun thing because uh, it's a long story, but we, we usually sing it when we're in the like in a van or in a tour bus driving for many many hours. We sometimes just sing to that song because it's, it's very funny. We think. Oh, absolutely! We do it every time we we go by a karaoke bar. We we try to sing that song. <laughs> but it's a long story, and I, I don't have time to do the whole story about the song. <laughs> oh, that's but it's okay. one of my favorite songs. That's okay. Well, as a bassist, War Machine must have been fun. That is such a great riff. Oh, yeah. It's, it's written in a, in a bass yeah. kind of way. So, yeah, I, I love that song. It was uh, mainly my idea to use that song, and our singers, of course, we came up with the idea because we really love the, the heaviness of that song. Oh, yeah. It's, that's a great to, tune, know, man. Try to do it even more heavy because we can tune down the guitars a little bit more than kids would do. So yeah, it was fun. Very cool. So this tour that you're about to set out on, this is a first for Amanamarth as well, right? An evening with Amanamarth. Yeah, yeah. That's that's also a new thing. We you know we, we try to do new stuff all the time. You know to to make it more interesting for the listeners. You know and, and it's, it's very popular to do you know a whole album nowadays. Many bands do it in different kind of ways. They do maybe an old classic album or something like that so we decided you know we want to do our, our new album like in this whole and then uh, take a little break after that and then come back and do like the classic songs or more wild cards we have from the back catalog and, mm-hmm. and you know it's, it's going to be an interesting thing I don't know if it's going to work well or not but I think it's going to be going to be a cool thing oh I'm looking forward to it man when you hit Seattle I am there because to see two cool. full sets from Amon Amarth that's going to be a great evening. And then one of the sets is Search Rising in its entirety. It's going to be 
fun for you guys and it's going to be tough for us to do. It's going to be a long, <laughs> a long set with many, many songs to remember. Well, you, you'll have to have a few beers during that break to get ready for the second half, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. So speaking of beers, I know a lot of the European metal folks, when they tour the U.S., they kind of think that American beer is weak. What do you guys drink when you're on the road? Well, when we're in U.S., of course, we have on our rider, you know, to get us some uh, local microbrewery things. Oh, cool. We, we love to try, because we know there, there are, like, tons of great beers from U.S., and, and you know, the only beers people in general know about is, is Budweiser and, and all these light, crappy beer. <laughs> but, you know, we, we like beers that taste a bit more, so there are plenty of microbreweries that do great beers. And, you know, and, and when we ask the promoter to give us something cool, you know, we, we always get to try something new every time. It's fun for us. Oh, good deal. That's working. Yeah. All right. Well, one last question. We always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show, Ted. What pisses you off, man? Crappy American beer. <laughs> I guess I walked right <laughs> into that one, didn't I? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's, that will do. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys when you're in town here. It's, uh, I think, April 20th in Seattle, and uh, it's going to be a great yeah. time. So i got to tell our listeners to show up and see some Amon Amarth. Yeah, totally. All right, man. Well, you want to introduce this next song for us? Yeah, this is the first song from the new album. It's called War of the Gods.
All right, once again, War of the Gods from 2011. Surtur Rising on sale March 29th at finer record stores everywhere. All the youngsters are going, what's a record? Awesome. So, dude, how about a little uh, multimedia triage? All right. What are you digging this week? I'm digging, well, I just read a funny book. Hadn't read it. I liked all of his other stuff, and I just missed this one. I finally read Star Island by Carl Hyacin. Oh, yeah? One of Florida's finer comedy writers. If you like Carl Hyacin, read the book. If you don't know who Carl Hyacin is, then go pick up a copy of, oh, hell, I don't know. What was the the movie that made with uh, Demi Moore that was a crappy movie but a funny book? Um, uh, striptease. Striptease, yeah. Striptease would be a good one. Yeah, he writes really He writes about uh, misadventures in Florida. And he's uh, read usually, that in about a day and a half. He's what? usually pretty damn funny. And he's usually pretty damn funny, yeah. And I've been playing, I've been playing words with friends with you, or attempting to on the Android because it crashes. Oh, I don't know. Every other time I try to play it, <laughs> and it's weird. I play, I actually play with you, and it it's fine. The only problem I have is that you stomp my ass repeatedly at the game. <laughs> but I try to play with my wife, and it just constantly, like the game I'm playing with her, disappears, and I have to launch a whole new game with her. And that sort of like breathed life into the old game. All of a sudden, that'll appear again. So then I get like six or eight games all with her going at once, none of which am I within 50 points of her. I suck at that game. <laughs> is that it? It That is it. And the fact that it crashes only makes it worse. Well, maybe you put all of your attribute points into first-person shooter playing or something when you're uh, rolling up your character. <laughs> Maybe so. There's no strategy. There's no twitch. I can't control the center of the board. I can't cut off your resources. Can't flank you. I can't do any of that stuff in this game. Which is hilarious because you're the rhetoric major. Yeah, you should. You should my, be the one my who purple Achilles heel. Yeah, you should be the one who has the way with words to win with this game. Maybe I'm faking it. Maybe I'm just calling all this in. Right. Maybe these words I'm using—they're not even really words. <laughs> Maybe. And I just started reading American Gods, another old book. Yeah, American Neil Gods Gaiman. by Neil Gaiman, not Neil Diamond. That's a completely different author. And I'm about halfway through it. Freaking cool, liking oh. that book. Yeah, I just uh, finished Best Serve Cold by Joe Abercrombie, which uh, is kind of a it's a standalone sort of a sequel to the first Law trilogy I talked about a couple of shows ago. Yeah, it's a really great book. It's about this captain of this mercenary band called the Thousand Swords named uh, Monza Mercado and she she works for this duke and she has just won this incredible battle and she's she uh, goes everywhere with her brother who's like her second in command and they go into the castle to meet with this duke and he kills her brother stabs her tries to strangle her and throws her off a cliff Yikes. in the first chapter and so she, her body, still barely clinging to life, is found by this weird bone healer guy. And so he puts her back together, and the rest of it is this sprawling tale of vengeance and betrayal. And I swear to God, by the last 50 pages, you don't know who's going to live, who's going to die, what the fuck's going to happen. Really, cool. well, really well put together, pretty dark, pretty violent. There are humorous bits with the characters, the way they interplay with each other, but it's not quite as humorous, maybe, as the first Law trilogy. But great book. I really enjoyed it. So I would definitely recommend checking it out. Cool. 
I saw a movie. Did you? What did you see? Rango. I saw Rango. What did you think of Rango? What a great movie that was. I thought not, so too. Not only was the animation stellar, both from a, a technical aspect and just from being sheer entertaining to watch, made my eyes happy. It was a great movie because it, it was just it worked on two levels. There was the, the physical humor that was right there at the kids level. And then the movie itself paid homage to so many other movies. It was just fun to sit there and go, and books, you know, it was, like, it was great. It was, hey, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Hey, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. That, you know, just... Yeah, it, it had like this kind of a philosophical bent to it that, frankly, as somebody who sees a lot of kids' movies, most of them don't have. And even a little bit of trying to disturb you. I mean, there's one character with an arrow through his eye. <laughs> yes. And he's kind of fucked up looking. And, you know, you go to see Bolt and Monsters vs. Aliens and all these movies where everything is a cute, polished toy. And to see, you know, some of these animals and characters that are kind of filthy and gross looking yeah. was pretty cool. And then the, the whole kind of philosophical Spirit of the West angle that the movie had. was It was just something that is really different from most kids' fare, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, it was like you took a kid's movie and you sat it down with Carlos Castaneda and shared peyote with it. <laughs> and there you go. That's Rango. Absolutely. And I just, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I couldn't have been happier coming out of a movie. It, it was just so filled with weirdness that you didn't know what was going to happen around the next corner. And that was cool. Yeah. And at the same time, it had the Three Stooges thing going on all throughout it. So the kids were never bored. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the character design was fantastic. Oh, my God, yeah. From the, you know, that, that big rattlesnake. The, oh, that was, was amazing. That was so good. The action scenes with the flying bat armies. I mean, there was a lot of great stuff in it. Yeah, there really was. I was really impressed. I went to see a movie that I thought would be just kind of fun and funny and la, la, la. But I, I was not ready for just how good that, that movie and how deep that movie was going to be. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Yeah, go check it out. Rango. It's not what you think. <laughs> so another thing that we both tried out this week was You Don't Know Jack for the Xbox 360. Indeed. Turns out you know Jack. I know a little Jack. What can I, I don't say? know so much Jack. <laughs> so uh, we, we both got a copy of the game from THQ. They were kind enough to send over a copy. And we uh, put it through its paces. And... Uh, for those of you who played the game on the PC back in the day, and I did quite a bit of that, it definitely holds up. It, it has that same game show vibe to it. The humor is really top-notch. It's both topical and it's damn funny, which I think is hard to do in, a, in something like this. Yeah, they did a great job writing. They did not swing and miss when it comes to the humor in this game. They did great. There was a number of times where you know we were laughing out loud. Basically, it's kind of like set up like a television game show, but it, uh, kind of an irreverent one where you're answering uh, multiple choice questions most of the time. But then sometimes there are uh, special kind of category things. So there, there's one thing called dis or dat. They will throw up clues and you have to guess whether it is, say, a type of ranch dressing or a legal brothel in Nevada. Oh, right. right. And, and it was absolutely hilarious. I mean, Gordon and I are both cracking up. Julie was jumping into playing a few games with us, too. And it was a really good time. Excellent party game, the kind of thing you can pass the controllers around. Now, there is one beef that I had with the game, and that was that 
we were trying to set it up so that Julie and I were playing here, and we both have Xbox Live Gold accounts, and Gord was trying to play from his place. Yeah. And we found out that we could only play with one of us on Xbox Live at a time. We couldn't combine playing local with playing live. And I thought that play live or play local. Right. That kind of sucked. I mean, and I've since played a couple of games with just Julie local, and that works like a charm. And the same thing with Xbox Live with one account. But it would be nice if THQ could figure out a way to kind of fix that little bit. Because there are going to be different permutations of people who want to play the games, and you essentially can't play with the guest online, at least as far as we were able to tell. What did you think? I agree with everything you said. Um, it was a fun game. The only, the only thing that I didn't like about the game besides that was that god-awful dummy. <laughs> There's some questions that are, that are asked to you by a wooden dummy with a bad ventriloquist controlling him. Ugh. But that was like only in every couple of games. That's not even every. Yeah, game. it's not like you're you have to deal with that very often. Right. Overall, it was it was fast moving. It was fun. I like it. Yeah, it I bad. think a whole game probably takes what 10, 15 minutes tops. Yeah. After which, I'm thoroughly humiliated because Steve has beat me again, and it's not even close. Man, How there's... do you know so much about ranch dressing and whorehouses? I I don't know. Misspent youth is all I can guess. But there there's also a kind of a feature where you can hit a screw button to screw the other player and basically it forces them to answer the question in five seconds and then if they don't answer it then basically they lose a bunch of money and then you get a chance to answer the question yourself so it's kind of a cool mechanic to stick it to the other guy yeah it never quite worked for me i'd hit the screw button and it would be a question about you know something steve totally knows down cold like (laughs) various flavors of deep fried food or something damn it Swedish metal again? <laughs> no! <laughs> the only other thing I would say is it would, like, some of this or that seems to always show up on, like, the third or fourth question. It would be nice if the type of question was mixed up a little more, but that's really nitpicky. I, I love the game, had a great time playing it, and would recommend it to anybody. And I think it's only 30 bucks for a full Xbox game. There's 73 shows you can play, and then you can download more shows off Xbox Live. So it's really a pretty uh, good value as well. I, I tried, and I may succeed later, but I think that this is a game my uh, my wife would even enjoy playing. Oh, which I would, would think be so. like the first on the Xbox. Yeah, it, it definitely has that sort of parlor game appeal to it. Let's see, what else? Uh, I've been playing a little Dragon Age 2. How's that going? You know, I like it. There was kind of talk when I interviewed David Gator at PAX and talked a little bit about it. And there was some kind of talk and rumblings online about how it was going to kind of take the Dragon Age world and kind of do it a little more like Mass Effect 2. Yeah, that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah, it, it kind of doesn't. The, the story <laughs> so far, basically, you're a whole new character. You know, the, the blight has been beat from Dragon Age Origins. And so you're having to leave Ferelden and go across the city to this city called Kirkwall and start over. And, you know, you have trouble getting into the city because they don't want refugees, yada, yada. And basically, there's like this big section of several hours where you're kind of doing these little episodic missions in order to get onto this dwarf caravan to go and make your way in the world. And I don't know, it kind of felt like there was a bunch of different kinds of missions. And it kind of just felt like I was kind of, okay, come on, let's get there. Let's get this over. 
it seemed a little bit make worky, and I didn't enjoy that. I'm, I, I'm into the meat of the game now, and so we'll see if the story opens up a little more. I'm enjoying it, but I don't think I like it as well as Dragon Age Origins, and definitely it's not even close to Mass Effect 2. So, you know, it kind of depends on your tolerance for that sort of thing. But at this point, I don't love it. It's not, you know, 100% I'm sold on it yet. All right, then. The the voice acting is great and like, the characterizations. It's pretty funny, though. My character, it turns out, is just unremittingly gay from the get-go. <laughs> and I don't know... You mean your own personal character? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what I did. You know how, because you have, like, the conversation wheels and, you know, you blow one elf. And you can never really get past that. <laughs> no, but I, I don't know what I said. I must have said something at some point. But now every guy, like, in the conversation wheel, I get these opportunities to hit on them. But if I meet a female, it's like they look at me like, who are you fooling? <laughs> they go, oh, we could go shop for shoes. So, yeah, at this point, I'm just swinging for the fences. I'm going to be the best damn gay warlord I can be. That's all, all anyone can really ask. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's about it. Oh, and the, and the last thing, the uh, Rick Boss Memorial Show was freaking amazing. So it was a week ago. It was a great show. Uh, got to see Arisen from Nothing, as I mentioned. Burning of Eye, who you guys remember from episode 28, one of my favorite Seattle bands. They played two new songs, Gord, that are yeah. just fucking amazing, galloping monstrosities. So cool. Cannot wonder- wait to hear more of the new stuff. And then... We were kind of tired, and it was getting late, and so we were like, ah, should we stay for the last band? You know, I don't know. And then Zero Down comes out, and these guys were like just fantastic old-school 80s-style grimy beer-soaked twin guitar metal. Oh, it was so much fun. Right on. They put on such a great show. They did a cover of Living After Midnight, and Jessica Boss jumped on stage and sang with them. Cool. And then they closed with uh, Hair of the Dog. It was fucking great. <laughs> I had a fantastic time watching that band. I played a first song from that band on the most recent Heavy Half Hour, so give that a listen and check it out. Just fucking great. Had a great time, and I hope to see them again. They're playing in a couple of weeks with Accept, actually, opening for Accept, so that'll be a cool thing. So if you want to get a chance to check them out. So, dude. Dude. You got anything else you want to talk about? No. Well, not unless you want to do some filthy jokes. Let's do some filthy jokes. Let's do some filthy jokes. Okay. So this little boy comes up to his mom and says, Mom, can I take the dog around the block for a walk? And the mom says, Well, I don't think so. You see, Fifi isn't he. The little kid just doesn't understand. What does that mean? And the mom's kind of embarrassed. She says, Well, you know, she doesn't want to get into a big biological discussion about it. She says, You know, just go. Your father's in the garage. Go ask him. He'll, he'll be glad to tell you. All right. So a little boy goes in the garage and says, Dad, can I take Fifi for a walk around the block? I asked Mom, and she said Fifi was in heat, and then I had to come talk to you. And the dad doesn't really want to have the biological discussion either, so he says, well, bring Fifi over here. So he takes a rag, and he soaks it in some gasoline he has for the lawnmower and scrubs the dog's rear end with it. And then he says, okay, you can go around the block for a walk, but keep Fifi on the leash and only go around the block once. So the little boy walks off, and, you know, about 10 minutes later, the little boy comes back with no dog on the leash. And the dad kind of starts panicking. Well, where's Fifi? The little boy says, well, she'll be back in a minute. She ran out of gas about halfway through the block, and another dog is pushing her home. <laughs> it's a dog sex joke. <laughs> you haven't had one of those before. No, not in a while. So a blonde, a blonde woman heard that 
milk baths would help her complexion stay beautiful. And so she left a note for the milkman to leave 25 gallons of milk. And when the milkman read the note, he, he figured there was a mistake. He thought that she probably meant two and a half gallons or 2.5. So he knocked on the door to clarify. She came to the door and the milkman said, I found your note asking me to leave 25 gallons of milk. Did you mean 2.5 gallons? The blonde goes, no, I want 25 gallons. I'm going to fill my bathtub up with milk and take a milk bath so I can stay young and beautiful looking. The milkman goes, hmm, do you want it pasteurized? No, just up to my tits. All right, thank you. Yeah, oh, God. We should have just not done that segment at all. I never go there anymore. So thank, thank you. Good night. <laughs> thank yous. First off, I'd like to thank Amana Marth for the music and Ted, of course, for the time and the interview. It was fantastic to speak with you. Once again, pick up Surtur Rising this Tuesday. Also, THQ for sending over You Don't Know Jack. I really appreciate it. And yeah. Troy Elmore for sharing his What Pisses Him Off with us. Wow, what a tale of woe. And finally, Scott Sigler whose ad ran at the start of the show. I spoke a, a while back about his books, The Rookie and The Starter, which are his Galactic Football League books, which are fucking yeah. great. And the new one is going on sale. The All-Pro is going on pre-order sale on April 1st. They just started playing the podcast of The Starter. It's on episode six now, and it's fucking great. And it's free, so check it out if you want a little taste of it. You can also check out the complete Rookie is still available, I believe, as well in his archive. So go to scottsigler.com, check it out. It's great shit. You got to listen. Our usual bullshit. Show phone numbers 425-296-6557, or you can always reach the show via email to steve at bonehand.com. We have new content on bonehand.com every Sunday, including the heavy half hour, which we've got all kinds of stuff going on on all non-Bonebat weeks, so give it a listen. And you can find my weekly cartoon at MightyWombat.com and you can follow me on Twitter at Mighty underscore Wombat. You can also follow me on Twitter as well. I'm Bonehand over there or you can join the Bonebat Facebook group. And if you like what we do, we would really appreciate it if you would tell a friend. And thank you to all the new listeners. Uh, our last show got double our number of normal downloads. So I got to thank that we've got a few new listeners and uh, thanks for giving us a try. We really appreciate it. Bye. And one last thing, my lovely wife, Ska Mama, actually was nominated this year for an award as the year's best crochet technical editor at the website Crochet Liberation Front. So, Can you get a more specific award nomination? No, but just, you know, to be nominated the best of the year in anything is certainly quite an honor. And the voting runs from now through March 30th, her birthday, actually, so... Please, if you have the time, drop by the Crochet Liberation Front website and place a vote for Julie as a Crochet Technical Editor of the Year. Do you agree? Or no? I agree. Word up. <laughs> was there somebody else you preferred on the ballot? <laughs> what the fuck was that? I didn't really know what to say. You, you handled it. You ought to vote. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want out of me? How much technical crochet editing humor can one man provide? <laughs> I was hoping for a little more anyway. Shit. <laughs> Sorry, next time we'll come with a bevy of technical crochet editing jokes. 
instead of filthy jokes, it'll be all technical crochet editing. I'm gonna hold you to that, Jerry. Okay. You gotta be funnier than your filthy jokes. God, gotta be filthier too. <laughs> Finally, our last tune of the evening. This is one of my favorite classic Amonomarth tunes. This is called Pursuit of Vikings from 2004's Fate of Norns. Hope you dig it. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve. This is Gord. And until next time, have a good one. I do have a good one.
You can recommend it. I can recommend it, but I said that earlier, and it would be like redundant as fuck for me to say that. So <laughs> that's why I was mixing it up. How redundant is fuck anyway? It's redundant.